let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers. We have arrived at that point where we can finally talk about Pope Benedict XVI. We spent a couple weeks with John Paul II, and so um, this allows us to now talk about Pope Benedict XVI. I do not have John O'Hare with me this week. He will return next week, and I don't know how far we are going to get with Benedict XVI, we may finish him, we may not. Um, if we don't, then certainly I will wrap him up next week with uh, John. So all that being said, um, there's a lot to talk about here. And, and like so many of our figures, what we do is at the very least get the discussion going. We could probably spend months with each figure we treat. The goal here is to highlight the key points from one great Christian thinker to the next, from one great saint to the next, so as to hopefully give prompting for you, the listener, to explore more the richness of all of the, the great Christian thinkers we talk about. Now, we will offer up an overview of some bio-highlights of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, formerly known, of course, as Joseph Ratzinger, and after that we will reflect uh, more deeply into some key contributions that he gives us as theologian. Joseph Ratzinger was born on April 16, uh, 1927, in a little town in Bavaria, Germany, huh? Bavaria, one of the states in Germany. He was the third and youngest child of Maria and Joseph Ratzinger Sr. His father, interestingly, served in both the Bavarian State Police and the German National Regular P Police before retiring in 1937 to the town of Traunstein. Now take note that Joseph Sr. was a retired policeman in Germany in the late 30s. So you can well imagine that he had some dealings, if you will, with the Nazis. And as it is described by many, the older Ratzinger bitterly resented the Nazis. And in point of fact, his father's opposition to Nazism ultimately resulted in numerous demotions and ultimately what would be a great deal of harassment to his family. In relationship to Ratzinger Jr., following his 14th birthday in 1941, Young Joseph Ratzinger was conscripted into the Hitler Youth. Now, let's be clear on this. <laughs> he was a member of the Hitler Youth because it was required by law for all 14-year-old German boys after March 1939. Um, but certainly, as his brother highlighted, he was a very unenthusiastic member who would even refuse to attend meetings, and of course, this got him in trouble as well. Um, one of Ratzinger's cousins, a 14-year-old boy with Down syndrome, was taken away by the Nazi regime and murdered during the Action T4 campaign of Nazi eugenics. Uh, so obviously, these kinds of things did not put the Nazis in good graces with the Ratzinger family. Um, in 1943, young Ratzinger, while still in seminary, was drafted into the German anti-aircraft corps. He then trained in the German infantry. As the Allied front drew closer to his post in 1945, he deserted back to his family's home after his unit had ceased to exist just 
as American troops established a headquarters in the Ratzinger household. So as a German soldier, he was in a prisoner of war camp, but ultimately to be released a few months later at the end of the war in May of 1945. Now moving along here in his bio-narrative, uh, from 1946 to 1951, uh, the year in which he was ordained a priest, by the way, uh, and began to teach, he studied philosophy and theology at the University of Munich and at the higher school in Friesing. Now, I was just reading this morning that uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI sent his condolences to all those who were killed in the latest shooting spree there in Munich um, and certainly offered up his prayers. Again, moving along here, in 1953, he obtained a doctorate in theology with a thesis entitled The People and House of God in St. Augustine's Doctrine of the Church. So in 1957, he qualified as a university teacher. He then taught dogma and fundamental theology at the Higher School of Philosophy and Theology in a number of different schools from 1957 to 1969. And in 1969, he became a professor of dogmatic theology and of the history of dogma at the University of Regensburg and vice president of the same university. Now, before we get too far, we should note that it was in 1962. He was already well known, huh? Because at the age of 35, he became a consultor of the Archbishop of Cologne, uh, then Cardinal Joseph Frings at the Second Vatican Council. He would join the likes of uh, Congar and de Lubach, who we discussed in past weeks, who were also consultors for Vatican II. So at the age of 35, he was finding himself among the ranks of some very important thinkers and certainly those who would have an impact on uh, the final drafts of the Vatican II documents. Now, in March of 1977, Pope Paul VI named Father Ratzinger Archbishop of Munich and Friesing, and on May 28, 1977, he was consecrated the first diocesan priest in 80 years to take over the pastoral ministry of the large Bavarian diocese. Uh, Paul VI elevated him to the College of Cardinals in the consistory of June 27, 1977. And as many of you know, on November 25, 1981, he was nominated by John Paul II to be the prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Cardinal Ratzinger was elected vice dean of the College of Cardinals on November 6, 1998, and on November 30, 2002, he was elected as dean of the College of Cardinals. Now, in many ways, we do know at that time, known as Cardinal Ratzinger, to really be John Paul II's right-hand man on a lot of what he was wanting to do. So in so many ways, he was being groomed, as the Holy Spirit would have it, to be the next pope. And following the death of John Paul II on April 2nd, 2005, and his funeral on April 8th, Cardinal Ratzinger presided over the conclave to elect a new pope as the dean of the College of Cardinals. The conclave opened on April 18th, and Cardinal Ratzinger was elected as the 265th Supreme Pontiff of the Roman Catholic Church on April 19th, 2005. And of course, he chose the name Benedict and became Pope Benedict XVI. Um, I should also add that he served as president of the Commission for the Preparation of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, huh? and it was after six years of work he presented the new catechism to the Holy Father in 1992. Now, it went under a revision in 1997, but he was the one to first present the catechism to our Holy Father, and as I spoke to it a couple weeks ago, 
Certainly, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is one of his great contributions to uh, the life of the church. Now, all that being said, I wanted to turn our attention to the Conference of Catholic Bishops website and a retrospective they have on Pope Benedict XVI because um, they really do a beautiful job of speaking to some of the key elements of his papacy. When elected Pope at age 78, Benedict XVI quietly told friends that given his age and health, he wouldn't be a globetrotter. However, (laughs) he quickly realized that the best way to reach people was to go to them. And of course, this is what he did. He learned from his predecessor, right? So in his first major trip, which was World Youth Day in Germany, just months after his election, he did this. He went to them. In the first five years, he traveled to five continents and 14 countries that amassed over 60,000 miles. Uh, Fascinating. You know, it's interesting, just by way of footnote, as I mentioned, World Youth Day, the World Youth Day for Germany was set before his election. Now, I find that striking because then the first World Youth Day for Pope Benedict XVI was what? In Germany. How about Pope Francis? The World Youth Day in Brazil was set before the election of Pope Francis. How about that? Now, Pope Francis is not from Brazil, but certainly being from Argentina, he is from the New World. And I could not help but think how the Holy Spirit had a game plan, huh? <laughs> and, and to kind of think about that and reflect about that is to reflect upon uh, the providence and sovereign love of God. So anyhow, um, as relates to Benedict XVI, he certainly knew uh, the power of the press and that if he went to desperate people in Africa, the media would follow. The eyes of the world might be open to the scandal of poverty, the terrible distance between the rich and the poor and their lack of access to resources given by God for all. As a scholar, he brought a, a laser-like focus to his writings his encyclicals, one on hope, on Christian hope, um, and two others on love, God is love, and charity and truth, speak simply yet profoundly of the deepest truths in relationship to God. I love the fact that you have these encyclicals from Pope Francis, and we should also add his light of faith that was finished by Pope Francis. You have an encyclical on hope, faith, love, and truth. Hope, faith, love, and truth. Beautiful. So just by way of snapshot into these uh, encyclicals, Spe Salvi, which is Latin for on Christian hope, presents Jesus as the source of the hope that the world desperately desires. You know, the Pope recognizes that no human means can adequately redress the heinous wrongs within human history, such, of course, as the Holocaust, uh, natural calamities, war, terrorism, nor can human means alone bring forth total justice? In his own words, no one and nothing can answer for centuries of suffering. Yet he presents Jesus as the harbinger of hope. Pope Benedict XVI assures us that with the coming of Jesus in glory, there is a resurrection of the flesh. Huh? There is a resurrection of the flesh. There is justice. And he reminds us that hope assures that every tear will be wiped away. Caritas in Veritate is a social encyclical that seamlessly weaves together what many consider polar opposites, spirituality 
and human progress, life ethics and social ethics, justice and charity, uh, personal ethical behavior, and more just social structures, the concerns of rich nations, and the needs of poor nations. What does the Pope get at? The Pope reminds humanity that the demands of love have both personal and social dimensions. For some of us who are involved in economics, (laughs) love applies to both micro-relationships, that is to say with friends and with family members or within small groups, and macro-relationships, social, economic, and political ones. In Caritas and Veritate, Pope Benedict XVI critiques the excesses of markets without justice supporting increase in international assistance to poor nations. He calls for action on the structural causes of global hunger and at the same time champions the rights of workers, all the while insisting on fair trade policies to help poor nations. He also teaches that the way humanity treats the environment influences the way it treats itself and vice versa. In other words, and I believe this to be a very important point because for one reason or another, we just want to reduce this to Pope Francis's pontificate and his encyclical Laudatio Si, but Pope Francis wants us to see that a society that finds people expendable will find nature expendable. And he declares that a lack of respect for the right to life weakens the conscience of society and its grasp of human ecology and thus environmental ecology. This is some of the same language used by Pope Francis in his own encyclical Laudatio Si. As Pope Benedict observes, the book of nature is one and indivisible. So when Space Salvi on Christian Hope and Caritas and Veritate, Charity and Truth, we have two encyclicals that very much go to the core of his pontificate. But it is his first encyclical, Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, that very much goes to the foundation of Pope Benedict's heart. He reminds us that all our actions as Christians must be informed by a clear understanding of our faith. In his own words, God's love for us is fundamental for our lives, and it raises important questions about who God is and who we are. So, since God has loved us first, love is less a command huh, than the response to the gift of God's love, right? So, for Pope Benedict XVI, love encompasses the whole of human existence. Man needs to both give love and to receive it as a gift. He also, in this context, explores the Eucharist. He says, our encounter with the Eucharist includes the reality of both being loved and of loving others in turn. In his own words, a Eucharist which does not pass over into the concrete practice of love is intrinsically fragmented. We have talked about this before, right? How you can never possess love. It seems like an odd statement to say you can never possess love. Well, if you have God inside of you, don't you possess love? No, because if God is entirely other-centered, that means you have to constantly give it away, right? The more love you receive from God, the more you will find yourself giving God away. You never actually possess it. You never have it, right? Because the moment you receive it, you give it away. This is the great paradox of God's love. And does this not teach us that when it comes to God's love, we are shown on the cross that 
enough is never enough until it gives everything. Huh? So love is entirely other-centered. So it is never about just receiving something, but at the same time, in the light of what we were receiving, giving it away. Now, as Pope Benedict reflects, an intimate counter with God leads to what he calls a communion of will, in which we learn to look at the other person from the perspective of Jesus Christ. The Pope expresses beautifully what this means when he writes, Seeing with the eyes of Christ, I can give to others much more than their outward necessities. I can give them the look of love which they crave. Huh? The look of Jesus Christ. You know, opening his pontificate with a letter on love was both a wise move and a true act of love for the church in which he showed he clearly understood his new role as the universal pastor. God's love is so fundamental to human existence that the Pope proclaimed in the opening statements that the reason for this letter, which would set the tone of his pontificate, is to, in his own words, speak of the love which God lavishes upon us and which we, in turn, must share with others. Amen to that beautiful, beautiful statement, that beautiful, beautiful vocation, which ultimately summarizes our baptismal vocation, right? In God, so as to exist for other. We come to know him so as to make him known. We enter into the interior life so that we might better understand all of the external activity around us. We enter into the gift so as to better enter into the task. This is the essence of the Christian vocation. In the light of our treatment of love, we should add that the unprecedented resignation by a humble man aware of the weakness of old age testified to his love of and for the church, huh? When he felt he couldn't give the papacy everything that he saw was needed, he did what hadn't been done in about 600 years. He stepped aside for a life of prayer. The teacher and scholar chose another pastoral service to the church to whom he has given his entire life. And of course, as we speak, he is praying, interceding on behalf of the church. You know, um, he said that as he stepped aside, he would turn his life into one that would be contemplative um, and that he would continue his theological reflections. And so with that, I do want to say a word about his theology because we are talking about one of the greatest uh, theologians of the 20th century. Now, he was primarily influenced by two men, St. Augustine and Romano Gardini. In relationship to St. Augustine, he once wrote in an article in German Theological Review in 1969 that Augustine has kept me company for more than 20 years. I have developed my theology in a dialogue with Augustine, though naturally I have tried to conduct this dialogue as a man of today. I love that quote. I love that line. Um, in relationship to Romano Gardini, the man we spoke of over a month ago, arguably the greatest theologian of the 20th century, he said that his whole pontificate is but an echo chamber of Romano Gardini. So again, St. Augustine and Romano Gardini. Now, no brief reflection of any kind can really capture the complexity and nuances of thought of someone who has been a part of the Catholic theological world for more than half a century. Uh, the author of more than 60 books and hundreds of articles, one who, 
as head of the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, has been so deeply involved in the greatest questions of theology and teaching confronting the church. And yet, <laughs> and yet, we will touch upon, at the very least, uh, one theme that I think does uh, open the door to better understand Benedict XVI, and that theme is the new man. I believe there to be one address in particular that very much captures the heart of his understanding of the Christian vocation. And it comes to us in his third installment of Reflections on the Life and Thought of St. Paul. It's interesting, I went back to my library, and I have a lot of those 60 books of Benedict XVI, and I was flipping through some of those pages trying to find what is that one book, that one chapter that captures the essence of this man. I find it interesting that I was pulled towards uh, this particular audience, this particular address that he offered up on uh, St. Paul. So again, this is the third installment of Reflections on the Life and Thought of St. Paul, and this comes to us in an address in 2006. So this is what he has to say. Dear brothers and sisters, in our previous catechesis two weeks ago, I endeavored to sketch the essential lines of the biography of the Apostle Paul. We saw how his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus literally revolutionized his life. Christ became his reason for living and the profound motivation of all his apostolic work. In his letters, after the name of God, which appears more than 500 times, the name most frequently mentioned is Christ's, 380 times. Thus, it is important to realize what a deep effect Jesus Christ can have on a person's life, hence also on our own lives. Actually, the history of salvation culminates in Jesus Christ, and thus he is also the true discriminating point in the dialogue with other religions. What did he just do there? Huh? Why focus on the frequency of the name of God and the name of Jesus Christ? It wouldn't appear very nuanced. And yet, what Benedict wants to show us is actually in the frequency of using his name, we are finding that we really can't do a whole lot with our own lives without being in proximity with this great name. And more specifically, without being in relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. So Benedict continues, looking at Paul, this is how we could formulate the basic question. How does a human being's encounter with Christ occur? And of what does the relationship that stems from it consist? The answer given by Paul can be understood in two stages. In the first place, Paul helps us to understand the absolutely basic and irreplaceable value of faith. This is what he wrote in his letter to the Romans. We hold that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is also what he wrote in his letter to the Galatians. Man is not justified by works of the law, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law shall no one be justified. So as Benedict XVI reflects with Paul, being justified means being made righteous. That is, being accepted by God's merciful justice, huh? So as to enter into communion with him and consequently to be able to establish a far more genuine relationship with all our brethren. And of course, this takes place on the basis of the complete forgiveness of our sins. Paul states 
with absolute clarity that this condition of life does not depend on our possible good works, but on the pure grace of God. As we read in Romans 3.24, we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. With these words, what do we find? But St. Paul expressing the fundamental content of his conversion, the new direction his life took as a result of his encounter with the risen Christ. Remember, encounter lies at the heart of it all, right? Before his conversion, Paul had not been a man distant from God and from his law. On the contrary, he had been observant, with an observance faithful to the point of what? Fanaticism, right? In the light of the encounter with Christ, however, St. Paul understood that with this he had sought to build up himself and his own justice, and ultimately that with all the justice he had lived for himself. My dear friends, he realized that a new approach in his life was absolutely essential. And we find this new approach expressed in his words in Galatians 2.20, huh? The life I now live and the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul, therefore, no longer lives for himself, for his own justice. He lives for Christ and with Christ. In giving of himself, he no longer seeks to build himself up. Huh? This is the new justice, the new orientation given to us by the Lord, given to us by faith. Before the cross of Christ, the extreme expression of his self-giving, there is no one who can boast of himself, of his own self-made justice, made for himself. Elsewhere, re-echoing Jeremiah, Paul explains this thought, writing, Let him who boasts, boast of the Lord. Or, far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, in reflecting on what justification means, not for actions, but for faith. Pope Benedict wants us to come to the second component that defines the Christian identity described by St. Paul in his own life. Now, that being said, um, we are going to have to pick up here next week as I'm looking up at the clock. We are out of time. Again, we are reflecting into this address to really get at the heart of the thought of one uh, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Emeritus, Ben XVI, huh? because I do believe what we are exploring right now really does lie at the heart of his theology and at the heart of his faith. So with that, uh, again, we will pick up here next week. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.